Well, good morning again, church. So as I said before, we are entering into a season where we as a church will be seeking to discern who it is that God, that Christ is appointing as elders of his church. And so part of that, as we've already explained, is that we are going to be doing these elder interviews each and every Sunday, but we're also going to be doing this series called Church Leadership 101. And you might ask, why do this? And the answer I would give is Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, it reads this. It says, Christ himself, so Jesus himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets. Now, I don't think that there are any apostles or prophets, any people in the office of apostle or prophet today. I'm very skeptical of anyone who introduces themselves as apostle this or apostle that or prophet this or prophet that. And the reason for this is the apostolic ministry and this prophetic ministry that Paul is referring to was at the founding of the church. Because in Ephesians 2 verse 20, Paul says, together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Now, whenever you lay a foundation for a house, you don't typically uproot that foundation. Once the foundation is laid, it is laid. And the foundation of the church is obviously Christ himself, his work on the cross, of what he's done for us, and then it's built upon the apostles who bear testimony, who, who brought testimony to Christ's work, and the prophets who brought the revelation of that. And that continues today in the church in the New Testament, in the authoritative, infallible Word of God. So a church is apostolic, and it is prophetic in that sense, as long as it stays in line with the Word of God, as long as the Word of God is preached in the church. Now, I'm not saying there aren't people who have the gift of prophecy, but I'm just saying that there is no more office of prophet or office of apostle today. But then he goes on to say there is also the evangelists. Now, who are they? Well, these are those who take the gospel to new fields, and they present the gospel to new fields, much like what happened in Acts 8, where Philip went to Samaria and he proclaimed the gospel to the whole city and the Samarians became believers in Jesus. And so there are those who God calls and sets aside among us who we set aside as missionaries and we send them out as evangelists to go and share the gospel in new fields, in this country and in other countries. But then Paul says there are the pastors and the teachers. And this is who we're going to be talking about today, the elders and pastors of our church who are in this office that God has established, that Christ has established. And what's the purpose of Christ giving to the church these gifted individuals? Well, it's to equip his people for works of service. The Greek word equip is the word katarizmon, and it means literally a preparing or an equipping. And the word was used to describe the mending of a net by a fisherman before they set sail for the day. They would prepare or equip the nets ready for a catch. Now, when you think of equipping, don't just think of equipping someone with skills. It's not just that. 
But rather, this equipping, behind this idea of equipping, is the idea of mending. You see, as the fishermen would cast out their nets and their nets would drag along the bottom of the sea, they would encounter rocks and the nets would break. And then before the fishermen could go out again, they would have to patch the holes in those nets. They would have to thread the needle and and tie those nets back together. And you see, this is what pastors and teachers do. They mend the souls of God's people so that they are therefore equipped to go out and catch fish, and be on mission. And Paul tells us it's so that the body of Christ will be built up. Do you see the connection? These leaders do their ministry. The church is actually equipped and mended and built up. And and because the church is mended and they do their works of service, the whole body of Christ is built up. So you see, this is, so, this is why it's so critical, because without the ministry of these leaders to the church, The church will not be equipped for service and will not be built up. John Maxwell, a leadership guru, he writes a lot of things. A lot of it I don't agree with. But one thing he does say is he says that often the church rises and falls on leadership. And it is true that any church that is thriving and growing biblically has a godly eldership in place. A godly eldership in place. And so that's why over these next four weeks, we're going to be doing this series, Church Leadership 101. Firstly, we're going to look at what do elders do? What's the job description of an elder? Then we're going to be looking at the character requirements for elders and pastors. What should we look for in their character? What should be the character of these people who God sets aside? Then why, thirdly, is the office of elder only open to qualified men. You know, we as a church, we believe that men and women were created equally in the image of God. We believe that in the church there is neither slave nor free nor male nor female, but all are one in Christ. So we stand against any misogyny. We try and develop all the gifts of the women in this church. We don't seek to suppress women at all in this church. We stand against violence that is done against women and report it to the police because we love the vulnerable and care for the weak. But we do hold to the biblical teaching that the office of elder and pastor is only open to qualified men, just as being a husband can only be open to a man. And we're going to unpack that for you because I know that is not a position shared by many people nowadays, but we want to unpack that for you so you understand not just what our position is, but how we actually hold that position as a church. And then fourthly, we are going to look at how should the elders shepherd the church? What's the nature of servant leadership? How should the elders shepherd the church? So this morning, we're looking at what do the elders do? What's the job description of an elder and a pastor? What should we be expecting from these ones that Jesus is setting aside to be elders and pastors in our church? Well, when you look into the New Testament, you will find that there are three Greek words used for elders. The first Greek word is the Greek word presbutos. 
It's from, you know, Presbyterian. You've ever heard that word before? The Presbyterian denomination? That comes from this Greek word, presbutos. Literally translated into English, it is the word elder. It literally means, according to the Greek lexicon, a mature man who has seasoned judgment or experience. And this word primarily refers to the character of, of the elder. So this word was taken from, like, the synagogue. The synagogue, the Greek synagogue, they would have presbutos, they would have elders who would rule over the synagogues. And the Christians took that word to describe their, their leaders of their assemblies, of their gatherings. Then you have the Greek word poiemon. This is translated shepherd. It means to act as a shepherd. This primarily refers to the role of an elder. And then we have the word episkopos. This means to oversee, a man called by God, literally to keep his eye on the flock. And so you see you have these three words when it comes to elders in the New Testament. Presbutos, elder, describing the character, poiemo, shepherd, and episkopos, overseer. Now it is fascinating that these three words all come together in one place in the New Testament. They all come together in 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 to 4. And therefore I think this is the one place in the New Testament where God is giving us the job description of elders and pastors. So let me read it to you. Peter says this, So I exhort the elders, the presbutos among you, as a fellow elder, you can see this word is soon presbutos, that's just a Greek preposition that goes before the word, that means fellow elders, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, and then this is in the voice of command, shepherd, this is a verb, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So what do elders do? Well, firstly, from what Peter says, they shepherd God's people. Now, when we typically think of an image or a metaphor for church leadership today, typically, this is what comes to mind. Does anyone know who that is? Now, that's Elon Musk. Elon Musk is the inventor of the Tesla. He is also the, um, he is also the, he founded this company called SpaceX, which has as its mission to send people to Mars by 2030. He is a tech giant, he is a CEO, he is innovative, he is entrepreneurial, he is visionary. And when it comes to church leaders, we often think that that is how our church leaders should be. Visionary, entrepreneurial, good at leading organizations, good CEOs and managers. And there needs to be visionary leadership in the church. That is part of being an elder, as we're going to see. But primarily... When people in the first century thought of an image or a metaphor, when Peter thought of an image or a metaphor, or Jesus thought of an image or a metaphor for a leader, do you know what they thought of? They thought of this, a Bedouin shepherd, this lowly job of looking after sheep. Remember what it was like for the shepherd King David. King David, he, you know, when 
the prophet Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel, David wasn't even invited because he was out there tending his father's sheep. And all throughout the Bible, you have this theme of shepherding. First, you have the Lord is the shepherd of his people. And Jacob, at the end of his life, he reflected on the fact that God had been his shepherd all of his life, that all of the things that he'd been through where he had wrestled with God and all the different seasons of his life, he, he, as he looked back, he said, Lord, you have been the shepherd of my life. And obviously, King David, that shepherd boy and shepherd king, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then as time goes on, you see Moses and David are described as shepherd leaders of Israel. For example, in Psalm 77 verse 20, um, it says, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And then it says in Psalm 78 verse 72, David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillfulness of hands he led them. As, as the king of Israel, he was the shepherd of God's people. But then sadly, as we continue to read through the Old Testament, we see the failure of Israel's shepherds, the prophets, the priests, the kings. They failed to shepherd God's people and in Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel speaks a word of judgment upon Israel's shepherds from the Lord. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for a lack of a shepherd, and my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is so strong. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am coming against the shepherds, and I'll demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I'll deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. But then as we come into the New Testament, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. In contrast to Israel's shepherds, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In contrast to Israel's shepherds who were feeding themselves and profiting off of God's people, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So what does it mean to shepherd God's people? What it means is that we look to Jesus as our model. We look to Jesus as our model. In fact, as Peter says, he is the chief shepherd. He is the chief shepherd, and we're appointed to these positions of elder and pastor. We're just under shepherds, shepherding his flock through his power and his grace for his glory. It's he is the chief shepherd. And so we look to him for what it means to shepherd God's people. And we firstly discover that good shepherds, good shepherds, they know and love the sheep. As Jesus said in John 10 and verse 4, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. A good shepherd knows the names of all of the sheep. He knows them by name. It's relational. 
Now, obviously, in a church our size, we have a large church, and it's impossible for any one person to know everyone personally. But and that's why in our church, we have different pastors over different cohorts. We have Pastor Ollie, who shepherds our youth and young adults. We have Pastor Graham, who shepherds our children and families. And we have Jason, who works alongside of Pastor Graham in the Fuse, um, Fuse group. And we also have Pastor Jeff, who looks after the older, older generations in our church, shepherding those generations. And we have a plurality of elders who are there to get to know the sheep and look after the sheep. And we also have community groups, and, and we trust as, as, as elders that our people will be shepherded through our community group network, and any needs will come back to us, because we believe as elders that good shepherds know and love the sheep, but also good shepherds lead the sheep to good pasture. Jesus says, when he has bought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. You see, the sheep, they trust the voice of the shepherd, and they feel safe with the shepherd. They feel safe. That they, 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 they trust that this shepherd's got their best interests at heart. And so, as Jesus goes on to say in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and will find pasture. The whole purpose of a shepherd is to lead the sheep to good pasture so that they will grow up and become mature sheep. You see, sheep do not exist for shepherds. Shepherds exist for sheep. We often get it so wrong in the church, and I've got it wrong at times, where we think that the church exists for pastors Rather, rather, it's the other way around. Pastors and elders exist for the church. We exist to actually help the church thrive, the people thrive, the people grow. The church is not there for the personal gain of the shepherd. And good shepherds also use the rod. As David said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, there were three uses of the shepherd's rod. The first use was to protect, to stand in the gap and fight for the sheep. There would be these predators that would come in and seek to lead the sheep away. And, and Paul talks about the predators that will come into a church in Acts 20, verses 28 and 29. He says, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you odyphysiers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, not just any type of wolves, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. I, I heard a, someone say, there are actually more wolves in the pews than in pulpits. They'll come into a church. That's where we get the expression, wolves in sheep's clothing, <laughs> They'll look like sheep, but they actually have an agenda, and that agenda is seen in time to lead people away. And so part of, of elders and part of pastors' roles is to protect the sheep and to use the crook. And I believe that the crook is the Word of God, is to use the Word of God to protect God's people's minds by being led astray from doctrinal error and doctrinal falsehood. 
Also, the shepherd's crook was used to correct. They'll discipline the sheep when the sheep get out of line. You know, part of the role of elders and pastors is to bring correction. And over the years, our elders and our pastors have had to sit with people and just open up the scriptures and say, lovingly, you are going the wrong way. You are violating what this word says and you need to, you need to turn back to the Lord. When I was much younger as a pastor, I was discipling this young guy and he was dating a non-Christian. And I met up with him and I just said, mate, what you're doing is you're heading the wrong way. The Bible, Bible teaches against this. And if you continue down this pathway, it is going to lead to destruction. You need to repent and turn back to the Lord. There are two pathways ahead of you. And he chose the right pathway by God's grace. It's hard work for shepherds to do that. But it's necessary work. And shepherds will also inspect. They will use the crook to inspect the sheep. They'll, they'll get underneath the sheep and have a look at what's the condition of the sheep. How's the sheep going? You know, as elders, we have two meetings every month. We have a governance meeting and we have a shepherding meeting. And the thing on our shepherding meeting is just to... The agenda for the shepherding meeting is to pray for the sheep and discuss any pastoral issues that come up in the life of the church. And I have to say this to you because you guys don't see this. You guys, you guys are shielded from this, but our pastors spend, our elders and pastors spend literally hours, hours of extra time, especially our lay elders, they don't get paid for it, they just spend hours of their time laboring over issues and things and solving stuff in the church because they care for the sheep and they love the sheep. We're so blessed. So blessed. So what do elders do? They shepherd God's people. Secondly, what elders do is they oversee the church's discipleship. Remember I said there is that other word, episkopos, comes here, exercising oversight. Now the thing about this is typically what we think that oversight means in a church is, oversight means that the elders are there to look out for the budgets and see how the budget of the church is going and see how the programs are going, are people coming along and see how, um, you know, see, make sure that the church is staying constitutionally in line and fulfilling all its fiduciary responsibilities. And yeah, that's part of being an elder. That's part of eldership is following all those stewardship issues making sure those things are, are, are in place. But that's not primarily what this word means in Greek. In Greek, this word is this, episkopos, and it comes from two Greek words, epi, which is a preposition, a Greek preposition. If you know Greek, it's in, on, and among. <laughs> and skopos, which means to look intently into. So I don't think when Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, to guard yourselves and to oversee the church of God, I don't think he meant like just look, make sure we're, we're, we're tracking with budget and all of that sort of stuff. I don't think that's what he meant. I think he meant oversee 
look, look at how the church's discipleship is going. What's happening in the church? What's happening in the lives of the members of the church? What's happening in their discipleship? Are they growing to become Christ-like? You know, for the last 40 years in the church, the church has been very pragmatic. We have become consumed with programs and with, and with buildings and with budgets and with finances and with all of those sorts of stuff in the West. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad. We need buildings, we need budgets. All of those things are not bad. But that's not the primary concern of oversight of an eldership. It's part of it. It's a stewardship issue. The primary concern is actually the discipleship of the members, I believe. Because when, you, when, you, when we stand before Jesus one day, he's not going to say, oh man, you did really well, Timon. You, you were able to make City Reach Oakton make budget eight years out of the 12. He's going to be asking questions like, what's the condition of people's hearts? How are their relationships? How's their discipleship? Where is their love for me? You see, oftentimes, these can be the questions we just ask, that churches ask. How many people came on Sunday? Did the people like the message? I hope people get fed by the message. How many people are coming to our programs? How is the offering going? Is everybody happy? Now, I'm not saying that some of those questions are not good questions to ask. Certainly, we want to ask the question. We certainly want to know if people are coming on Sunday or not. We certainly want to know some of those things. But in addition, these are the questions that our elders are asking. Questions like this. Are those being baptized continuing to walk in faith years down the line? Or it's just like this brief thing and they don't actually go on with it how many of the attendees of the worship gathering participate in community groups or in discipleship are we not just growing wide but are we growing deep deeper in God can our members articulate the gospel can our can our members actually say what the gospel actually is is there a growing spirit of repentance faith and love for Christ in the church is there this spiritual vitality in the church? Or is the church asleep in the light? If we ask 10 people in our community who do not attend our church to describe what they think of it, what would they say? Is our church making an impact out there, out of the four walls of the church? Now, now just for an encouragement, in 2019, we actually got a number of awards given to us from the mayor of our city for how our members had served the community in Carols Alive and in the Joy to the City project. Our mayor on Australia Day gave us these awards and I was just very I mean, righteously proud of our church and our members for their service to the community. So we are making an impact. And are the people themselves ministering to one another and are we hearing stories of people sharing their faith? You see, this is what elders do, is elders ask these sorts of questions because they're trying to provide, they're looking intently what's actually happening in people's lives. And so what do elders do? They shepherd God's people 
They oversee the church's discipleship. And finally, they set an example. Peter says, set an example. But what type of example? Well, he spells it out. An example of passionate service for Jesus. He says that we are to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. You know, the elders and pastors of a church should be the pace setters for the church. They should be the most passionate disciples in the church. They should be the most passionate worshipers in the church. They should be the greatest prayer warriors in a church. And they shouldn't do it under compulsion, but they should do it willingly because they love Jesus. They also are an example of pure service for Jesus. It's not for shameful gain, Peter says, but eagerly. They're not in it to build their reputation. They're not in it for the money. They're not in it for privilege. But they do it eagerly, purely for Jesus. And they are examples of gentle service for Jesus. I couldn't find another P. I know that might offend it offends my Baptist sensibilities there, passionate service, pure service. If you can come up with a better P there, that would be great. Gentle service for Jesus. But Peter says they're not domineering over those in their charge. They don't lord it over people. But like the lion and the lamb, like Jesus who's a lion and a lamb, they have authority, but yet they are gentle with people. And so what do elders do? They shepherd God's people. They oversee the church's discipleship. They set an example. And as you look at this, you go, man, this is a huge calling. Is that not? This is massive. Who would want this? <laughs> but there is an enormous privilege also for elders and pastors and that is what Peter outlines lastly. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade. Um, Warren Wearsby, in his commentary on 1 Peter, he writes this. He says, there were several kinds of crowns in those days. The one Peter mentioned was the athlete's crown. The Olympic Games, usually a garland of leaves or flowers that would quickly fade away. The faithful pastor's crown is a crown of glory, a perfect reward for an inheritance that will never fade away. And then Wearsby shares a personal story. He says, one summer day, I stood amid the ruins of a church near Antwat in Scotland. The building at one time seated perhaps 150 people. By modern standards, it would not have been a successful church. Because in Australia, at least you need 500 people to be a successful church. But he said, but the man who pastored the flock was the saintly Samuel Rutherford, whose letters of Samuel Rutherford is a spiritual classic. His ministry continues, though today his church building is in ruins. The chief shepherd has rewarded him for faithful labors, which included a great deal of persecution and physical suffering. And then 
Worsby went on to write this, which is very, very personally convicting for me. He said, today a Christian worker may labor for many different kinds of rewards. Some work hard to build their own personal empires. Others strive for the applause of men. Still others seek promotion in their denomination. All of these things will fade one day. The only reward that we ought to strive for is the well done of a saviour and the unfading crown of glory that goes with it. What a joy it will be to place the crown at his feet and acknowledge that all we did was because of his grace and power. We will have no desire for personal glory when we see Jesus face to face. That's really challenging. So let me finish this morning with some applications for, for us as God's people. Number one, um, let's graciously hold our elders to the standards and expectations of Scripture. If it's true, and it is what I said, that without the ministry of these leaders to the church, the church will not be equipped for service and will not be build up, built up, then we need elders that are described in the Bible. And so let's graciously hold our elders to the standards and expectations of the Scriptures. Now, I use the word graciously there on purpose because every one of our elders are just men. And there's only one man in the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is perfect. And so our elders and pastors will make errors in judgment. They will make mistakes. They will sin at times. And so we need to be gracious towards our elders while at the same time holding them to the standards and expectations of the Scriptures. And there's one more thing I want to say on that, is that this is also very serious, but I do want to say it, and that is, if there is information that you learn that disqualifies one of our elders or one of our pastors, that is a disqualifying issue that the Scriptures outline, then you should submit that to the elders of the church. Don't sit in silence, but submit that to the elders of the church for the protection of the whole body, trusting that the Lord will expose it in time. Secondly, we need to honor the office of elder and pastor in the church. God has set these people aside, and so we need to honor them. What does it mean to honor them? We need to obey and follow them and their leadership. That's what it means to honor the office of elder and pastor in the church. And finally, let's pray daily for our elders, our pastors, and their families. You know, if it is true that, and it is, that the health of this church is related to the health of our elders and pastors of the church, then you, you can be sure that the enemy has strategies and schemes to bring down every one of our pastors and bring down every one of our elders and destroy them and their families. But we have been given weapons by God to fight in this spiritual war, and one of those weapons is the weapon of prayer. And so let's be a congregation who every day is praying for every one of our elders, every one of their families, 
all of their children, our pastors as well, praying for their families and their children and praying for their purity together. And why don't we do that right now? So let's stand together and let's pray. Lord, we've talked about very serious things and weighty things today in your church. About the office of elder and pastor. And it is not us who appoints these people, but as we've learned in Ephesians 4, it is you who appoints elders and pastors. As it says in John's gospel, in John 1 verse 5, there was a man sent by God, his name was John. Lord, we want only the elders and pastors in our church which are sent by God, endorsed by God, called by God for the ministry here. And Lord, we are so thankful for the provision of faithful pastors and elders in our church, Lord. We're so thankful for the the men that you have given us, Lord, in this church and we right now intercede and lift our voices in faith and pray for them this morning lord we lift up before you our present elders we lift up before you mike and susie phil and jan jonathan and diane myself and tegan we lift you up before you and we lift up our families lord and we pray father for your spiritual protection over our elders, Lord. We pray that whatever the enemy has fashioned for evil, you might turn for good, Lord God. We thank you for the promise of your word that no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. No weapon. Lord, we thank you for the victory of King Jesus, that he has won the victory And we stand at the foot of the cross in his victory. Lord, we pray for our pastors. Lord, we pray for Jeff and Carol. Lord, we pray for Ollie and Meg. We pray for Graham and Irina. Lord, we bring before you Vincent. Lord, we bring before you Jeremy and Claire. Lord, we thank you for our pastor Emeritus, Paul and Ruth. And we bring before you these couples and we thank you for them. Lord, we pray for the victory of King Jesus to be over them. Lord, they serve faithfully, often with no no applause, doing many things that we don't see. Oh, Lord God, we pray for them, strengthen them, bless them. We pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that it doesn't rest upon them as well. It rests upon the chief shepherd. It rests upon you, Lord God, and your son who is reigning and ruling at your right hand right now. And so, Father, this church is fine. And your church in the world is fine. It's going exactly where you've appointed it to go. And so, Father, we rest in that, Lord. And that truth right now. 
Oh Lord, we, we just pray for this month as we consider whom you are appointing. Lord, make it clear to us as a church family, as a community. We are sincerely seeking you. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name and for Jesus' honor and glory. Amen.